I'm excited about Windshape Camps. I, I am so excited about this camp uh, coming to Las Cruces. This is a huge opportunity for us to invest in our community in a way that we've never done before. And guess what? God is already blessing it right? Uh, as Micah mentioned, that, that we're working really hard to make sure that uh, money is not going to keep any kids that want to come from coming. And uh, so we've been praying big, big, bold prayers, expectant prayers, and God is already answering those prayers and providing uh, the money for scholarships that we need uh, for those kids. So please continue to pray. Pray for this camp. Pray for the campers. Uh, pray for the leaders. Pray for the financial resources needed uh, to make this happen because this is going to be a life-changing event uh, for those kids that get to participate uh, in this camp. Uh, well, this morning we're starting a new series called Scent. Uh, and by the way, for those of you that are new, my name is Dennis Garcia. Uh, I forgot to introduce myself. I am not Pastor Joel Oates. He's our lead pastor. He's not here this morning. Um, so if you want to hear a good sermon, come back in a couple weeks when he's back. Uh, but no, we're glad you're here this morning. Um, and I'm really excited about this new series that, that we're doing. Um, each week, for those of you that, that aren't familiar or haven't been here in a while, each week at the end of our services, we don't dismiss. Uh, we, we send. We, we, Pastor Joel has, has ingrained it within us. He says, we don't dismiss at Real Life Church. We send. You are sent. And I love that Pastor Joel uh, started doing this because it reminds us that as we leave these doors, we are entering the mission field. Right? We're entering a place where people need to hear about the good news of Jesus. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to live sent. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about evangelism. Uh, now, what is evangelism, right? That, that's a pretty churchy word that we don't use a whole lot of places other than church. Uh, evangelism is simply this. It's sharing Jesus Christ with people who do not know him yet. Right? Nothing, nothing complicated about it. Evangelism is sharing Jesus Christ with people who do not know him yet. It's, it's telling others about the good news of Jesus, right? That he came from heaven to earth, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins and rose again three days later. And on the cross, he conquered sin and, and from raising from the grave, he conquered death once and for all. And for those who trust him, they can experience grace and mercy and forgiveness in his presence for all eternity. That is the good news. And evangelism is simply just telling people the good news of Jesus, or as we have it on the wall of our kids' ministry, the best news ever, right? That absolutely is the best news ever. And that's why Jesus came to earth. That's why we gather every week to worship him because of what he did on the cross. That's why we did uh, communion this morning, the Lord's Supper, reminding us of the sacrifice that he made and the forgiveness that we experience because of it. And evangelism is just simply telling people what Jesus has done for them. You see, Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through him. He's our only Savior. He's the only way for us to get to heaven. He's the only way that we could have a reconciled relationship with the God that created the universe, the only way that we can experience forgiveness of our sins. So for those of us that have experienced all these things in Christ, we should be motivated to tell others about it, right? To tell them about what they could experience in Jesus. So we share the good news so that others can experience what we have in him. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It comes from John chapter 4. 
John is in the New Testament. Uh, if you have your, your Bible with you, uh, it's about two-thirds of the way through. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the eyewitness accounts of uh, Jesus' time on earth. And we're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. Uh, this particular passage is, is one that um, I, I love reading. I love preaching on. It's one that, that a lot of people, uh, even if you don't have a, a lot of church experience, have heard, so it may be familiar to you this morning. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, it will be up on the screen. So John chapter 4, we're going to be starting in verse 1. It says this, now when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and set out once more for Galilee. But he had to pass through Samaria. Now he came to a Samaria town called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, since he was tired from the journey, sat right down beside the well, and it was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. For his disciples had gone off into the town to buy supplies. So the Samaritan woman asked him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you had known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, Give me some water to drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said to him, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? For he gave us this well and drank from it himself, along with his sons and livestock. Jesus replied, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. He said to her, Go and call your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Right, you are when you said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. So you said this truthfully. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet, and our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you people say that the place people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and the people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. Whenever he comes, he will tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now at that very moment, his disciples came back, and they were shocked because he was speaking with a woman. However, nobody said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went off into the town, and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? So they left the town and began coming to him. Let's pray together. 
Father, I thank you so much for uh, this time of worship that we've had today, uh, opportunity to worship through music, to worship through uh, the Lord's Supper, to now to worship through the reading and the preaching of your word. And Father, as we open up your word, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds. We know that you have a message for everyone in this room, for everybody that's, that's joining us online, a message to, to change and transform our hearts and lives, and then through us to transform the world. And Father, I pray that we would be attentive as we listen this morning, but that we would not just listen to gain knowledge, but that we would listen to allow your Holy Spirit to work in our lives to transform us for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the central theme of, of this passage is Jesus as a compassionate Savior, right? It's Jesus as the Messiah, and we see it woven in and out of this text this morning. Um, in reality, this story is just a small example of what Jesus did for all of humanity, right? And like the woman at the well, he invites us to come and see a Savior, to taste the living water that will satisfy all who are spiritually thirsty, it's the only way to satisfy our spiritual thirst. But this morning, we're, we're going to be looking at this passage through the lens of evangelism. As I mentioned earlier, this is a two-part evangelism series, and this passage has a lot to teach us about evangelism. So let's jump in. The first thing I want you to notice this morning is Jesus was in a difficult place to minister. Jesus was in a difficult place to minister. It wasn't an easy place to go and do ministry. You see, Jesus is a Jew, as, as we saw in the text, and he's in Samaria. Uh, it was hostile territory. Uh, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They, they were enemies. Uh, the Jews viewed the Samaritans as unclean. They viewed them as half-breeds and impure. And for a Jew, a Samaritan was to be avoided at all costs. They would do everything they had to to avoid Samaritans. As a matter of fact, Jews usually wouldn't even travel through Samaria. They would walk around the entire region just to avoid any contact with Samaritans. It's kind of like some of you when I wear my Lobo gear, right? You cross to the other side of the street. But in turn, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews either, they, they thought they were pretentious, stuck-up snobs, and, and they were. They hated the Jews so much that they would even side with the enemies of the Jews, the Syrians, in their wars against the Jews. So the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. So when Jesus went to Samaria, he found himself in hostile territory. And we even see evidence of that here, uh, this hostility in, in the text. It says in verse 9, so the Samaritan woman said to him, how can you, a Jew... Ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink, right? Because they had nothing in common. So Jesus found himself in, in hostile territory. Uh, but not only was it a hard place to minister because of the hostility, it was also a hard place because the Samaritans had their own religious beliefs. Uh, you see, the Samaritans, the reason the Jews called them half-breeds is they, they were Jewish at one point in time. But then as, as the region was captured by outsiders, by pagans, they started to intermarry. And, and, and so the Jews looked at them as, as half-breeds, but also they did the same thing with their religious beliefs. Right? Some of the stuff that they believed was similar to the Jews, but then they took some from this area and this area and this area and just kind of mixed it all up together, and they believed 100% that they were right and everybody else was wrong. And so they, they were very um, antagonistic towards Jewish beliefs because the Jews, again, they said, you know, not, not only are we pure, but our beliefs are pure, and what you believe is not pure. So, so they wanted nothing to do with the Jewish Jewish beliefs. And we even see here, she's trying to start a religious debate with Jesus. She says, look, our, our religion says we worship on this mountain, but you guys say that we worship on that mountain. 
Right? So Jesus finds himself in this, this place where, where they don't like Jews, where they're resistant to, to the Jewish beliefs. But check this out. Even though Jesus knew that it would be a hard place, even though he knew that he would receive a hostile welcome, he still intentionally went to Samaria. Look at what it says here in verse 4. It said, he had to pass through Samaria. Right? He didn't really have to physically. There were other ways to get where he was going. And when John, the author of this book, usually uses this phrase, had to, in his gospel, he means that it was the will of God or that it was God's plan that that was done. So in this case, when it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria, it's because God had an intentional plan to do something special in this town, to do something special in the life of this woman. You see, Jews would at all costs avoid traveling through Samaria, but they would never, ever, ever intentionally go to Samaria. But Jesus did. Jesus had to because God had a plan. He did this intentionally. This was the plan all along. He went to Samaria just to have a conversation with this woman, to share the good news of the kingdom of God and to ultimately reveal himself as Messiah. Do you know that this was the first time in all of, of the life of Jesus where he revealed himself as the Messiah? Right? And it wasn't to the Jews, it was to a Samaritan. So he went to this place, to this hard place, for a reason. And Jesus didn't avoid hard places. He went there because they, he knew that they were in need of a Savior. You may not know this, but we live in a spiritually hard place. New Mexico is a spiritually hard place. We live in a place where people are very religious, but they lack a relationship with Jesus. And sometimes because of their strongly held religious beliefs, they're resistant and, and sometimes even antagonistic towards the gospel. I've heard story after story of multiple people in this town. Some of them are, are in this room right now that when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you were baptized uh, for your faith, your family disowned you. I've heard that story over and over again. Right? We also live in a community and in a world that's hostile towards Christianity. Right? Christians are seen as the enemy. Christian beliefs are seen as wrong and bad. Everyone in society should be tolerated with the exceptions of Christians. Right? That's the world that we're living in. And I'm not saying this to complain. I'm just illustrating the reality that, that we live and minister in a hard place. Throughout my time doing ministry here in New Mexico, I've known dozens and dozens of pastors who have come from outside the state to come here to, to work at a church, and almost every single one of them has told me this is the hardest place they've ever pastored. It's the hardest place they've ever ministered. As a matter of fact, I was visiting with a pastor this last week. He moved from Los Angeles to Albuquerque to plant a church and he said that planting a church in Albuquerque is infinitely harder than planting a church in the hood of Los Angeles. And this guy grew up in the streets. He was a gangbanger. And he said it was so much easier to tell people about Jesus in Los Angeles than it is here in New Mexico. But being in a hard place is not an excuse for our lack of evangelism. Right? Yes, people are going to reject the message. Yes, they're going to reject Jesus. But that doesn't mean we stop sharing. Right? Just like Jesus was intentional to go to Samaria, a hard place, just to share the good news, we need to be intentional about going to hard places and have hard conversations to share the good news as well. Even hostile places. 
because that's what Jesus did for us. The second thing I want to point out to in this passage is that Jesus encountered a woman that was spiritually thirsty, right? She was spiritually thirsty. As I mentioned earlier, she had a different system of, of beliefs, and, and it was a mixture of, of Jewish beliefs with pagan uh, influence and other re- from other regions in the area, and they mixed it all together. And Jesus knew this, and he knew that she was spiritually empty, so he offers her living water. He says in verse 13, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. The reality is every single one of us was created to be in a relationship with our creator. We see this in the book of Genesis, right? We see evidence that Adam and Eve had this intimate friendship with Jesus, that they would even take walks in the garden together. But when they sinned, it destroyed that relationship, not just for them, but it destroyed relationship between God and all of humanity, and, and it's, been, it's been the goal of, of, of humanity ever since then to try and, and restore that relationship. That's why there's a lot of false religions because they're trying to find a way to come back to having peace with God again. And all of us have this within us, this desire to have a relationship with our creator that was, was ultimately destroyed by sin. But that desire is still there deep within us and only a relationship with Jesus can satisfy it. Right? I can't tell you how many times when I've led somebody to Christ, they tell me, you know what? I had something missing in my life. I knew something was missing, but, but now it's filled. I finally feel whole for the first time in my life. Right? They're talking about that spiritual thirst had, that all of us have. But the problem is, much like the, the woman in this story, we try to fill it with so many things. For her, it was with relationship. She went through husband after husband after husband after husband after husband, then she just gave up and started living with the guy, right? She did that to to fill some need in her life that only Jesus could fill. She was spiritually thirsty, but we do the same thing. Sometimes for us, we, we try and fill it with power or money or fame or human relationships, but no matter what we do, we find that nothing satisfies Nothing but Jesus will ever satisfy the thirst that we have within us. It's true in our lives. And I know from from experience, nothing in life that I ever tried before coming to Christ satisfied me the way Jesus does. And we live in a world, in a community of people who are spiritually thirsty Statistics show that that in Las Cruces, only one in 10 people have a personal relationship with Jesus. Only one out of 10 people have been born again. That means that nine out of 10 people we encounter are like this Samaritan woman. woman. They're living without the hope of the gospel. They're living without a relationship with Jesus. Nine out of 10 of them are spiritually thirsty and they're trying to satisfy that thirst with other things that will never satisfy that thirst. They're in need of the living water that only comes from Jesus. And they're in need of people who have experienced the living water to tell them where to find it. The third thing that we see in this passage that that is important for us to understand is that Jesus showed compassion, not condemnation. Jesus showed compassion, not condemnation. It's important to understand, yes, Jesus confronted her for her sin, Right? He didn't ignore her sin. He confronted her, but he did so in a way that was compassionate. He didn't condemn her. He didn't look down on her. 
right? This lady had a reputation in town. That's why she came out to draw water when nobody else was there. The, the custom of this day and time was, was that the women would go early in the morning and they would all go together and, and together. And this ended up becoming, you know, where they would gossip and share all this stuff. Uh, men, if you ever wonder why women go to the bathroom together, it started when they used to go fetch water together, okay? <laughs> they don't have to fetch water anymore, so they had to come up with something else. Please don't send me any emails. That was just a joke. <laughs> no, but the women would all go in the morning together, and that was their social time. That's, that's when they, they had community. But she was such an outcast in her town that she avoided coming when all the other women were there. Right? Because if you've been married five times and now you're shacking up with someone, you have a reputation. And the women in town don't like you. So she had a reputation. She was used to being looked down on. She was used to be condemned and treated poorly for her lifestyle. But Jesus didn't do that. Yeah, he mentioned her past, but he still treated her with kindness and love and respect. She wasn't used to that. Right? If, she, if Jesus had treated her the same way the people in town treat her, the story would have ended. But there was something different about the way Jesus interacted with her. And it was that kindness and compassion that made the difference in her life. Right? This woman had a transforming experience with Jesus in that moment. She was introduced to the Messiah, the person who knew everything about her but still showed compassion. Guess what? Jesus knows everything about you too. And he knows everything about me. And he still loves us. He knew every bad thing we would ever do. And he said, it is still worth it for me to climb on that cross and die for their sins because I love them so much. That's the compassion that we see here. Not condemnation. We see Jesus extended compassion. And notice what happens next. She issues a simple invitation to come and see that ultimately transforms a city. Jump with me to, to verse 39 if you have your, your Bibles. We're going to read the, the rest of the story. It says this, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the report, the woman who testified, he told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came out to him, they began asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And because of his word, many more believed. And they said to the woman, no longer do we believe because of your words. So for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this one really is the savior of the world. So not only was her life transformed by this encounter with Jesus, but, but she went in to invite others to come and see, come and see a man that knew everything I did and still showed me compassion. Come and see a man that knew everything I did and still treated me with respect. Come and see a man that knew everything I did and still showed kindness to me. Could this be the Messiah, the Savior of the world? Come and see a man. You see, God intentionally goes into hard places to reach hard people because of his great love for us. And we see in this passage that a simple invitation transformed an entire city. 
our bottom line this morning is this. Never underestimate the life-transforming power of a simple invitation to come and see Jesus. Never underestimate the life-transforming power of a simple invitation to come and see Jesus. Right? This woman at the well, she had an experience with Jesus that changed her life. For the first time in her adult life, more than likely, she experienced love and kindness and compassion. And the first thing she did is she had to run and tell everybody else, come see a man that knew everything I did and still showed love to me. And because of that simple invitation, the town came out, they met Jesus, and they were transformed. But this isn't just true in Scripture, it's true today as well. A recent study was done asking over 50,000 people why they started coming to church. Guess what? 86% of the people that responded said they started coming to church because they received a personal invitation by a friend or a relative. 86% of people that go to church do so because they experienced a personal invitation by a friend or relative. This is the power of a simple invitation. Right? It's true in my own life. I am a follower of Christ today because I had a personal invitation by a friend to come and see. Right? It was my sophomore year of high school and, and fr- sorry, junior year of high school. And frankly, I wanted nothing to do with God. Right? I, I had grown up in church. I didn't need it anymore. But a friend of mine loved me so much that he invited me to go with his student ministry to a conference they were going to. And I said, no, thank you. I told him no once. He came back a couple days later. I told him no a second time. He came back a couple days later. I told him no just to get him to shut up. I told him yes just to get him to shut up. But it was on that trip that I met Jesus. I wouldn't be here today as a follower of Christ if it wasn't for my friend Stephen Davison inviting me to come and see. That's the power of a simple invitation. Yesterday at our Connect class, uh, which is our prospective membership class, for those of you that don't know, we had a family there that, that was there because a member of our church in, issued a personal invitation while they were at physical therapy together. They started talking about Jesus and uh, this uh, gentleman, we, we don't know exactly who it is, we think we might know who it is, but he said, hey, if you're ever looking for a church, I'd love to invite you to come to Real Life Church. And a short time later, they were looking for a church. And guess where they came? They came to Real Life Church. And yesterday, we saw three generations of this family say, Real Life Church is our home, and this is where we want to be members. They're so excited. They said, we love Real Life Church. They said, we're already tithing. We want to get involved in serving. And they're here today because of a simple invitation. How many of you are here at Real Life Church. How many of you are are believers because somebody invited you to church sometime? Raise your hand. That's the power of a simple invitation. That's why we do things like wind-shaped camp, right? It creates an opportunity for an easy come-and-see invitation. And while those kids are here, they're going to be invited to come back to church because, yeah, there's a group of college kids that come in and and run the camp, but they do so so that the volunteers from our church get to build relationships with those kids and say, hey, you know what? You're having fun now. You should come back on Sunday. 
So we get to invite them to come back to church. But not only that, on two different occasions, at least two different occasions throughout the week, those kids are going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the gospel during the week, during the camp, and then on Friday during family day, uh, we're going to lure people here with free Chick-fil-A. That will always get a crowd, right? But while they're here, the campers and all of their family, guess what? They're going to hear the gospel again. They're going to hear about a Savior that died on a cross to save them from their sins. To give them the opportunity to have peace and relationship with the God that created the universe. And spend eternity in His presence. And we're going to see lives transformed because of a simple invitation to come and see. As I close, I want to issue this challenge to you. As you leave this morning, our host team will be standing at the doors with these little cards. On one side, it says, God loves you. And on the other side, it has information about our church. My challenge to you is this, that as you leave this morning, that you'd grab two or three or 10 of these cards and that you will make a commitment that this week I'm going to hand out every single one of those cards. And I'm going to issue a simple invitation to come and see. Come and see. Just tell somebody, you know what? God loves you. I'd love for you to be able to join me at church sometime. You can use them to invite a friend or a coworker. Uh, you can leave them at a restaurant with a tip. Uh, but if you do that, please make it a generous tip, right? We don't want them to think that real life church is stingy. Contagious generosity is one of our values. So if you leave it with a tip, make it a good tip, a really good tip. Or you can use it to invite a neighbor. It doesn't matter who you give it to. It's just a tool for you to say, I'd love for you to come to my church sometime to hear about somebody that transformed my life. He can do the same for you. Because everything we do here at Real Life Church, it's about the gospel. It's about the good news. It's about seeing God transform our lives through the gospel, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that we can go out there and tell others about the good news as well. And you know what? If you're here this morning or you're watching us online and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, guess what? Today's the day. Today's the day that you get to meet a Savior, that you get to meet the creator of the universe that loves you so much that he died in your place. Because the Bible tells us that every single one of us is guilty of sin. And that because of our sin, we have a broken relationship with God and there's nothing we can do to ever make it right. Right? No amount of, of doing good deeds, no amount of giving to charity, no amount of coming to church or reading your Bible can ever save you. You can memorize this book, but it's not going to save you. The only way that you can experience forgiveness from your, for your sins is through Jesus Christ. And it's accepting his simple invitation to come. Come and follow me. So we're going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus this morning. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. 
If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want to encourage you to pray this prayer after me. There's nothing magical about this prayer. There's nothing special about the words. It's just a reflection of your heart saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. I believe that Jesus is my Savior. I trust him as my Lord, as the only way to have forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says if we believe in him and we turn from our sins, we repent, that we will experience salvation. We will experience peace and mercy and grace and love and forgiveness like we've never experienced before. And we will do so in the eternity and in the presence of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you want to say yes to Jesus' simple invitation, pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I've lived life for myself for far too long. But today I say yes to accept your invitation. I trust you as my Lord and Savior. And I give my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and inviting me into your family. Lord, help me to live every day for you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We're going to continue to pray this morning. Father, I pray for those that are in this room or, or that are outside of these walls that do not know Jesus. Father, I pray that, that, that they would come to faith in you. Father, that we would see that number one out of 10 Christ followers in Las Cruces go to two out of 10, then three out of 10, then four out of 10, not because we want any church in Las Cruces to be famous, but we want the name of Jesus to be famous because we want our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors to know the Jesus that we know, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who loves us, even in our biggest mess. And so, Father, I pray for every single one of us that we would make an intentional commitment today that we are going to invite people to come and see. Whether we use these cards or, or we use a text message or a Facebook invite, that we're gonna go to those people that we know that, that are not involved in church, that don't have a personal relationship with you, and we're gonna invite them to come here and hear about Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would already start stirring in the hearts of the people that are gonna receive these cards. You would start working in their hearts, exposing their need for something else, showing them their own spiritual thirst that only you can satisfy. Father, we want to see you do something great here in Las Cruces. We've been reading report after report after report of how you're moving in incredible ways around the world through these revivals. Father, let it happen here. Let us see lives after life after life transformed by the gospel because of a simple invitation to come and meet the Messiah. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.